Well, we're continuing. We have four more weeks. We'll finish in the month of November, and then we'll start a Christmas series in our Soul Detox uh, series. And uh, today we're going to be talking about cleansing our lives of culture toxins. Cleansing our lives of talk, uh, toxic or culture toxins. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at this this morning. Father, we do thank you for this day and the opportunity we have to open the Word of God this morning. Lord, I pray that as we think about this thing of the the culture that we live in, that we'll understand what our duty is within this culture as Christians. Lord, as we look to uh, the story in the book of Daniel, of, of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Lord, as we look at that story this morning, Lord, that we would understand, Lord, how they fit into that new culture, but yet, Lord, they were willing to take stands also within that culture. Lord, help us as we finish the message this morning to glean some principles from Scripture that will help us to understand, Lord, what our responsibility is and how to, and sometimes to, Father, cleanse ourselves from the culture. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. As you're doing that, the flowers here this morning uh, are from Tim's funeral service yesterday. And uh, I want you to continue to pray for Nancy and the family. And uh, there were uh, several people who I believe made professions of faith yesterday. And uh, I believe that Tim was rejoicing in heaven yesterday uh, because of that fact. And uh, so continue to pray for Nancy. If you haven't already, send her a card or an email. Just let her know that you're praying for her through this time. We live in a toxic culture that's filled with toxins and germs that can affect our life. When we think about culture, what is culture? And I want to give you a, a definition of culture and uh, put it up there. It's a, set, it's a set of shaped practices, attitudes, and values, and beliefs which are rooted in our common understanding and affects the way we make decisions, sets priorities, and the way we regard such things as sex and money and death and power and time and art and government and even physical space. Our culture, when we think about this word culture, it is a big word, it's a vast word. Now I want you to know right away that culture is different from worldliness. You know, the Bible says that we are not to partake of worldliness. We're not, and that word worldliness, as you study it through, is really, in a sense, devilish living, the way of the devil, the way of Satan. And uh, not everything in culture is of the devil. And sometimes, uh, even in the past, Christians have thought, wow, if it's, you know, if it's of the culture, it's of the world, it's wrong. The word culture and the word world are two different words, two different meanings uh, that we find. But when we think about culture, when we think about these things that shape our practices and our attitudes and our values and beliefs and everything, there's several things, and I don't even have time. It would take me the next half hour just to talk all about the things of culture. But just to give you a few ideas to help you to see the vastness of our culture. When we think of culture, we think about the uh, culture of technology. And uh, we think about emails and texting, texting and tweeting and all the things that we do. And uh, all of those things now we do with our phone that's held in our hand. 
you know, everything that you need to do and, and the culture that we live in can be done right on your phone. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I remember when, when I used to go to my grandparents and they had a phone on their wall. And when you picked up the phone, uh, it had several other people on the line and you had to wait to use that phone till one somebody else got off the line. And uh, so we've changed a whole lot, haven't we? You know, I mean, just I think of like Hugh, Hugh sitting there. And Lord, think of all the things you've seen, Hugh, in your lifetime. It's amazing just the technology that we have today. And, and so there's that culture that we live in. You know, but, but again, culture. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 19, the Bible says, be slow to speak, but to be quick to what? Listen, in the technology culture, we, be, we tend to be slow, or we tend to be quick to what? To speak, because you don't even have to think now, you just tweet it. And, and when you look at what's tweeted and what's on the internet, everything, everybody says everything they're thinking. Um, we, have the, we have the culture of arts, we have music, we have all kinds of styles of music, and uh, Christian, jazz, rock, heavy metal, blues, gospel, we have easy listening, uh, we have country music, we have orchestra music, we have band, we have the big band music, you name it, what? There is all kinds of music, and if I ask you this morning, what is God's type of music, you all would say what? Southern gospel, come on, what else? <laughs> Hymns. It's just depending on how you're brought up. And, 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 and since there's a whole culture there of that whole music, isn't there? And, and even within that culture, and there's the Christian culture of music. Because, you know, we have the two different radio stations here in Lancaster County, the more conservative and a little bit more contemporary. And so that culture takes in so much. And uh, there's the culture of entertainment. There's TV, there's movies, um, there's um, all kinds of things. You know, it used to be, you know, we would say, and probably this church said, it's wrong to go to watch a movie. And then some of you own vans today, and you play those movies in your vans that we wouldn't go to the movie to see a while ago, huh? Are we just now, we just watch them in our homes. You don't even have to go to the movies. You just, you, we watch those things in our homes. Um, or you can watch them on your iPod or your iPad or on your iPhone. You can watch those things right there. You can take them with you. So there's this whole culture. Is it wrong? No. But it can be wrong because there's a lot of junk in movies. There's a lot of things that violate our culture then there, or violate our, our own, in a sense, convictions. Then there's the whole culture of politics, which we're in the middle of right now, aren't we? I noticed yesterday on my, on my uh, home phone... I hadn't checked it this week, so if you tried to call me at home, I'm sorry, but I hadn't checked it this week, and so I, I picked it up yesterday for the first time since last Sunday, and I thought I better check my messages, and usually there's two or three. There were 17 messages on my phone. Three of them were from power companies about the storm that was coming, and all the rest except for one, something my wife ordered, didn't come, all the rest were what? Political telling me how to vote, who to vote, when to vote, all those things. So there's this whole political culture, isn't there? And sometimes the political culture steps over the lines too. I believe it stepped over the line in, in, a, in an advertisement I saw this week of somebody saying that, listen, voting, you should vote for this person and voting for this person for me, it was like the first time I had sex. To me, it stepped over the line. And see, even our political culture can step over the line. 
And we have to take stands there. But historically, Christians have adopted three classical approaches to culture. And here they are. I want to give them to you before we get into the Bible this morning so we understand historically how Christians have dealt with culture and this whole thing. There's first what we call um, the conversionist view. The conversionist view says this, the way to change culture is to change enough individual hearts through personal conversion, then the culture would change. That's the first. The second view of historical Christianity is this. It is called the political. It's use of political power to enact laws that will directly be based on Christian theology. So we're going to go this, we're going to put as many Christians as we can in, in political offices so that we can change the world through politics. And then the last one, the last view is the separatist view. This view historically says this, it rejects any idea of Christians trying to influence culture. In other words, it says Christians have, we shouldn't influence culture. It insists that we should reflect Christian values within our own church, but we should not try to influence society in any particular direction. Now, the conversionist, the political, and the separatist view are traditionally views that down through the centuries that Christians have held. And it, sometimes it just depended where you are. If you were, and it depended what, what, in a sense, flavor of Christianity you decided to take. You know, we think of the political view. Um, that, that was a view that was really viewed by Dr. Jerry Falwell. It was viewed that way by D. James Kennedy. Um, that we were going to change our society through politics. Um, a lot of Presbyterians will take that view. Um, and I'm not saying all Presbyterians, but that's a, a way that they go. Then there's the separatist view, which is a lot of times Mennonites and, and those. We shouldn't be involved in this culture whatsoever. We should be separated from the culture totally. Shouldn't have anything to do with the culture's music or the culture's ways. But yet I want to tell you in John chapter 17, this is what it says. I pray not that you shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them um, from evil in the world. It's not about isolation. It's about insulation. I really believe that we can have an impact on our culture as Christians. And so how, you say, where do you stand out, Dick? Uh, here's where I stand. I like view number one, the conversionist view. I like the thought that Christ, the transformer of culture, we can transform it one heart at a time. It doesn't, listen, yes, it doesn't matter who wins this week, but the reality of it, no matter who wins the presidency this week, we're not going to change the world through the president. Now I have my personal one I'm voting for, but I can tell you this much, it's not going to change the world. It doesn't matter who wins. But I'll tell you what will change the world. As we bring people to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and their life is transformed 
The Bible says what? They become a new creature in Christ. Behold, all things are passing away. All things are becoming new. We'll never transform this culture. In fact, the Bible says that this culture will probably grow worse and worse till Christ comes. But here's the good news. Listen, every person that we can share the gospel with, every person that we can reach for Jesus Christ in America and around the world, that's how we change lives. And so I tend to like the conversionist view that we can change it one heart at a time. And so I wanted us to go to the book of Daniel this morning because if there's ever a story in God's word that helps us to understand about living in the culture, but yet when culture and my beliefs collide, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle it? So turn to the book of Daniel this morning, Daniel chapter 1, and uh, it says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and brought the vessels into the treasure of the house of his God. And the king spake unto Asphenus, the master of eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. He said, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and, and um, cunning and knowledge and understanding of science and such had had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and to whom they might teach the learning and the tongues of the Chaldeans. So historically, the historical setting here is this, is simply that God is bringing judgment upon Israel. God is bringing judgment upon Israel because they've sinned against him. They would not turn from their sin. So God allows the Babylonians to come down and to capture them, to take over. You'll notice they take some of their, their religious artifacts. But also the most important thing is they take some of the young men from Israel. They take some of these men who, they, these young men who are men of wisdom, men who understood the culture of Israel, men who were uh, uh, men of knowledge. And he said, we're going to bring those back to Babylon and we're going to take those men and we're going to train them. You'll notice the type. And he says that there in that verse, in verse 4, he talks about these were men with no physical blemish. They were good looking. They were of superior intellect. Uh, they were skillful in wisdom. And they knew the culture of which they lived. They understood the culture of Israel. So these were men probably from, I would probably venture to guess from probably about 16 to probably about 25. And you see there in your notes and up on the screen what those young men were like that were brought back from Israel down to Babylon for them to be retrained in the culture of Babylon or the culture of the Chaldeans. So they brought them back, and as the, as the Bible says here, they immersed them in the culture of the Chaldeans. They immersed them. They, they taught them the way of the Chaldeans. You'll, you'll see at the end of verse 4 it says... And they might teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Um, and it says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. So here, they, he immersed them in this new culture. They learned all the things of that culture. And you'll notice something else here. It's interesting. As you read on down, down here, um, skip down to verse 6. We'll come back to verse 5. It says, Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, 
Michelle and Azariah, unto whom the princes of the eunuchs gave them names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hanai of Shadrach, and to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Now, this is important for us to realize what these names mean, so I wanted to camp out here just for a minute so you understood this, that they're not only giving, teaching them the culture of the land, the learning of the land, the ways of the land of Babylon and the Chaldeans, but they're also giving them new names. So to Daniel, Daniel's name meant God is judge. God is judge. That's what his name meant. His Jewish name meant God is judge. They changed his Babylonian name would be Belshazzar, which is this. It simply means may Baal protect his life. So they're taking away from him his God, in a sense. They're taking away his name that talked about his God, and they're giving him a brand new name, a name that, in a sense, gave glory to Baal, who the Babylonians worshipped. The second one you'll see there is Hananiah. His name meant Jehovah is gracious. So his Jewish name meant Jehovah is gracious. Now again, in Jewish customs and culture, your name was important. Your name always had a meaning. So when your parents named you something, it had a meaning behind it. So that was important. So to him, they gave them the Babylonian name of Shadrach, which means command of Akeo. Akeo. Akeo was the moon god. It was the moon god. The Babylonians and the Chaldeans had many, many gods that they worshipped. One not only was Baal, but one was the moon god, Echeo. And so they changed his name to mean he was to be commanded by Echeo, not, not Jehovah anymore. And then Michelle, we have his name meant, Who is he that is God? Who is he that is God? His name became Meshach, which stood for, Who is Achao? Who is Achao? And then the last one, Azariah, his name meant the Lord helps, and they changed his name to Abednego, which is servant of Nebo. Now, who is Nebo? Nebo was the son of Baal. So he was the son of Baal. Just like Jesus is the son of God, we have Nebo is the son of Baal. So it's interesting here. It's interesting that they gave these men new names that fit the culture of Babylon that they were now living in, but also those new names, what? Had ties to God. But it's interesting in Scripture that you don't find Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego making a big deal about the names. I thought that was interesting. Why isn't the, why isn't the, I, I couldn't understand. Why didn't he make a big name? Why didn't he make a big deal about these new names that they were given? I'm not sure. It seems like that they were willing to accept the culture to an extent. And, you know, just like us, we live within the culture that we live in, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with accepting some of that culture and being using some of that culture. But then there's a, a point when culture collides with our beliefs that we need to take a stand. When culture collides with our beliefs, we need to take a stand. And this is the stand that Daniel decided to take as we read through this story. 
It says in verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand therefore the king. And we have the names. Now go down to verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart. You ought to underline that and circle it. We'll be back there in a minute. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the princes of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel said, hey, there's a point when the culture collides with my beliefs that I am going to stand up and I am going to take a stand. I'm going to stand up and take a stand. For me, culture collides with my belief when they say abortion is okay because the Bible teaches that life starts at conception. So I'm going to stand up and take a stand against abortion because it's murder, according to Scripture. And that's when culture collides with my beliefs of Scripture and I will stand for those things. But here, they're standing because their beliefs of a special dietary law, the laws of Moses, the Mosaic laws that God had set down for them, that there was things that they could not eat. They could not, and we don't have the time to go back there and, and develop this whole thing today from the writings of Moses, but we could go back and we could study it, and you could find out where Mo, in the laws of Moses, there were some dietary laws. There were some meat that they could not eat. There was some drinks that they could not drink, and there was some food that they could not touch. And so when it came to the point that the Chaldeans said to these Babylonian young men, you have to eat this meat, that's been offered to idols. You have to eat this meat. They said, hey, hey, hold it here. Hey, this collides with my belief, and I will not go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this. But, you know, I, I like Daniel's response here. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to get in your face, and I'm going to tell you what I think. Daniel still respected those who were in leadership. Whether the person wins this week who you think should win, I still have to respect that person, and I am commanded for Scripture to pray for that person. And Daniel had a great response. I love Daniel's response. You know, he, 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 he did not reject the culture totally. He accepted their education, their learning, even, their, even some of their views. But when it came to direct conflict, he was going to take a stand. But you'll notice that he had... Look at verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Daniel did what? He just didn't say, hey, because you see things different than me and because you look at things different in this culture than I do, I'm going to be in your face about it all the time. No, Daniel in his captivity and learning this new culture even took the time to what? To build a relationship with his captors. And he was accepted by them. He was respected by them. In verse 10, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed for your meat and your drink, for why should he, uh, why should he see your faces worse, likened than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head of the king. So this prince had somebody over him and said, You know what, Daniel, if you don't eat this food, if you only eat your, you know, vegetables, and you don't eat all these other things, they could have me killed. 
Don't you understand that, Daniel? Verse 11, then said Daniel to Melzar, who was the prince of the eunuch, so he, what? He appealed. He appealed to the person who was over him, who had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. So he said, hey, for ten days, let's just try it. Just give us ten days. Let us prove that this diet of basic pulse means vegetables and water. We're going to eat vegetables and water. And parents, this is a great place to go to teach your kids about eating vegetables. If you're going to wonder why, when you say, eat your peas, you can say, because it works. Look at Daniel's diet. So just to help the parents who are training this morning. He says here, Prove the servants, I beseech thee, ten days, let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be uh, looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And so he says, let us do this for ten days. Just, you know, he appealed to him. He didn't criticize them. He said, listen, I believe there's a better way. And you know, that's the thing that we need to teach our culture. Hey, there's a better way. There's a better way. We got a better way than you have. It's called the word of God. We got a better way than you. And and it's God's word. And so that's what Daniel say. And so they granted him the request. And then you look down in verse 17, you look at the results. And for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all the vision and dreams. Now, at the end of the 10 days, the king had said he should bring them in. And the princes of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king commanded with them, among them all was found, none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, before stood them before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, the astrologers who were in all his realm. See, it comes back to this. It comes back to that little phrase I told you to underline in, chapter, in verse 8 where it says, And Daniel purposed in his heart. There was a point that he would accept culture, but then there was a point where he had purposed in his heart, he had some convictions that he would not go against. So you say, Dick, give us some practical thoughts here. And I want to end with some practical things that will help us the, to, to live within the culture that we live in. So, when I, is it wrong to turn my television set on at night? No, it's not a sin. Is it wrong to watch a movie? No, it's not wrong to watch a movie. Is it wrong to listen to country music? Oh, don't go there. You know what happens when you play country music backwards? Your wife comes back and your dog comes back. You know that, don't you? But listen to me. Is it wrong? Is it wrong to listen to contemporary music? Is that the devil's instrument up there? And was that the devil playing it this morning? No, Mr. Smith isn't. No, no, no it's not. It's not. And so, so but where, where when culture, when those things in culture really collide with our beliefs. What are, how are we going to make those decisions? So I want to give you some principles real quick. We're just going to fly through these this morning. I would encourage you to take some time, look up these verses yourself, let them work on your heart. Then you build your own convictions. Build your own convictions. 
first of all, here, here's some great things. And uh, I'm going to tell you right off, these aren't for me. I got these probably 12 years ago from John MacArthur. And I've lived by these for that time. And I think there's some great principles that John MacArthur laid out in one of his books that I read about 10 or 12 years ago. Here's the first one. Number one, will it benefit me spiritually? 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things will build me up. So I have to make that decision. Is this activity that I'm about to do or this activity that I'm going to be involved in or this television program that I'm going to watch or this music that I'm going to listen to, does it build me up? Does it encourage me? Does it help me? Will it benefit me spiritually? Next, will it put me in bondage? Will it put me in bondage? 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. Is this going to be habit-forming? Isn't there nothing wrong with Facebook until you spend your whole day on Facebook? Then it's a habit. There's nothing wrong with the home shopping network until you sit all day and you shop all day and you become what? addicted and at the same time poor there's nothing but we you know there's nothing wrong with sports there's nothing wrong I'll tell you the first thing i did this morning was when i went out and got my paper i opened it up to the sports section to read about the penn state game yesterday am i addicted to it some of you would say well yes I love sports. But you know what? I'm not a bondage to it. But when it, when it becomes, and it can be of video games. How many teenagers today are in bondage to video games? Or, or you know, especially to technology, we can, become, we can become in bondage to those things. I mean, it's amazing. Somebody sent me an a, a, a email this week that, that showed all the different people, how we don't communicate because we're all communicating through, we don't communicate face-to-face because we're communicating, you know, by our phones now. And and so there's nothing wrong unless it's bondage. I see people who are in such bondage to their technology that their kids are suffering. Here's the next one. Will it defile God's temple? Do you know that your body is the temple of God, the Holy Spirit who is in you, and that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I should not do anything that brings dishonor to God through my body. The next one, will it cause others to stumble? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. If food causes my brother to stumble, I will, eat, I will not eat it, Paul tells us. Well, it calls others to stumble. Will it help the cause of evangelism? 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33. Give no offense either to the Jew or to the Greek or to the church, uh, to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that may be saved. Paul said everything I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure that it can be used in the area of evangelism. And then will it violate my own conscience? 1 Corinthians 10, 25 through 29. It contains, um, 
It talks about there that we need to abstain from things for our conscience' sake. It, 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 it contains three references to abstaining from things for our conscience' sake in that portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. So listen, if you start to do something and you have to think a second time about doing it, you know what, you probably shouldn't be doing it because you know what that's talking to you? That's your conscience. God gave every one of us a conscience. And if we continue to do things, pretty soon our conscience will become dull if we keep going against it. And then lastly, we'll bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, I'll never forget when I was at Liberty University. You know, one of the things I really appreciated about their sports program then was this. I loved the football games because I would watch those guys play football they would bang heads out on the line, and I'd watch our guys from Liberty run back across to the bench. They would get their New Testament, they would get a track, and they'd run back across the field, and they would look for that guy that they had just been beating heads against for the last hour, and they would share the gospel. I can't tell you how many football games I watched, and at the end of that game, there were guys all over the field with their New Testament sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. close with this illustration, this little story for you. Cade was 12 years old and he came to his mom and said, Mom, he said, listen, I'm going to go over to Jimmy's house. Jimmy just got a movie and uh, Jimmy was telling me all about it. It's really a great movie, Mom. I, I want to see it. And uh, his mom said, well, what, what's the movie about? And Jimmy started to, or Cade started to explain it and his mom said, is there cussing in it? And he said, I think there's just two or three words. It's not bad. And he said, I think there's only one sex scene. And I'll tell you what, Mom, when that scene comes on, I'll turn away. I won't even watch it, okay? His mom said, okay, yeah, go ahead. I don't think it's a problem. So he ran upstairs and took his phone and was going to call Jimmy. And Mom got busy making some of Cade's favorite brownies. She knew he loved brownies, but today she decided that she was going to add one little special ingredient. And so she went out in the backyard and she found a little pile of Fido's droppings. Not much, just, just a little bit. And she brought it in and she fixed the brownies and all of a sudden Cade came downstairs and said, Mom, Mom, are you baking? She said, Yes, I'm making your favorite brownies. And, oh, Mom, I can't wait. How much longer? She said, just about five minutes. They're done. He said, can I have some milk? Oh, yeah, you can have all the milk you want with your brownies. He was all excited. And he said, oh, I can't wait. They smell so good. And so she got the brownies out, and she cut him a nice big piece and poured him this huge glass of milk and set it down in front of him. And she said, okay. And he picked up his fork, and he put it in. He said, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. And she said, oh, one thing before you eat, let me just tell you something. She said, I added a special ingredient today. He said, well, what is it, Mom? Your brownies are already great. And she said, it's just, I just adjust a little bit. And he said, well, what is it, Mom? She said, well, it's a little bit of Fido's poop. She said, it won't hurt you. And he said, Mom, what's wrong with you? Why did you, why did you put just that? Why did you put that in? She said, it's just a little bit. It won't hurt you. Yes, it will. 
And she said, just the same way, a little bit of sex, a little bit of cussing will hurt you. Very practical way to teach her son. Very practical way to teach us. A little bit will hurt us. When culture collides with our beliefs, what are we going to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God today. Thank you for the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Abednego. And Lord, what a, what a great illustration it is. Of, Lord, we can live within our culture. And Lord, we can even enjoy aspects of our culture. But Lord, we have to make sure that that culture is not becoming habit-forming to us. We need to know when we need to say no. We need to take these principles from God's word, from the book of Corinthians, Lord, that you've laid out there for us. We need to take those principles and apply it to our lives that we make wise decisions. So we use those principles, I think, to cleanse us from the toxics of this culture that we live in. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.